if you thought that painted turtles were just this cute little comedy character with a nice red shell, you're wrong. Hello and welcome to Herpetological Highlights, episode 64. My name's Tom Major and co-hosting with me on our 64th episode is Ben Marshall, as per usual. And yeah, this week we're going to be talking about painted turtles, which are an American species of turtle, which are insanely widespread uh, across North America into Canada. And And notoriously uh, artistic. Notoriously artistic and also increasingly have some behaviors which human beings would consider to be deeply unsavory so yeah if you're listening to us on spotify hello that's now an option long anticipated arrival of the podcast on spotify so uh yeah that's nice um yeah what else is new uh what else is new yeah um (laughs) I guess I guess this research about turtles is that where yeah. you're going? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's pretty like, fresh. I mean, we got one from 2017, one from 2020 that isn't even in like paper form yet. It only exists as an e article, I believe. So, yeah. I mean, it's pretty fresh. Yeah. Um, it's not yet existing in a format which is comfortable to read or comfortable to gain access to. Yeah. No, it was a bit of a fiasco. Absolutely. Um, we got there in the end, thankfully. Um, so yeah, we were all good. We got the papers and we read them. Yeah, no, there's not really a lot else new, is there? I don't know. It kind of feels like spring is coming, which is making me feel happy. Ah, uh, well, we're still waiting on the rains. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, what's it been? Probably pushing close to three months without rain here. At least it feels that way. Ah, uh, that's brutal. Yeah. They're not very good for seeing snakes either. Not that great for seeing much to be honest everything's sort of hunkered down right now mm, yeah well here we, like on sunday we had a really sunny day and it was just like wow and i was in the woods and the birds were singing saw a siskin and i was like oh wow this is cool <laughs> and it, it was just like wow finally this horrible winds is coming to an end but we've had loads of flooding um so like in snowdonia where where i was there was this huge river valley which you can see from this hill i was up and normally it's just this like nice little winding river and it was just like i don't know this huge area covered in floods all these fields i'd never seen anything like it so that was quite interesting but yeah so basically what it, you're saying it's a good time to hide away from the nastiness of of british winters and think about slightly it's not even slightly warmer places ontario's not warmer no, I mean, I had a look on their website and all the photos of this place have snow in them. So really, there's not even any escapism we can offer in this episode, unless you live in somewhere no. even colder than Ontario. <laughs> we don't... I love that we're like, it's so quintessentially English, isn't it, talking about the weather? But I just... I had it in me. I had to get it out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, fair play, mate. Fair play. Um, so yeah, you've uh, alluded there to the fact that we're in Canada. So this... Everything that we're going to talk about... The turtles that we're going to talk about today come from Algonquin National... Oh, excuse me. I'm going to get this right because I think I've been corrected in the past. Algonquin National Park. No, it's not even a national park, is it? It's a provincial area in Canada, in Ontario. Yeah, Algonquin Provincial Park. And it's basically this massive forested wonderland for animals where human beings also have the privilege of being able to go hiking, kayaking, etc. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's the way it should be. It should be turtle animal home first, 
then you're lucky to go there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I like the framing there. Yeah. Um, And it looks beautiful. And yeah, I had a look online and it is a massive park. I mean, yeah, you know, you get the little key in the corner of your Google Earth and the 20 kilometer key was there and the park just dwarfed it. So I couldn't work out how many thumb lengths it was to see how long the park (laughs) actually is. But it's big. Okay, it's big. And it's just trees. It's just trees. I would wager to say it's bigger than any area of trees we have in us in the UK. I don't think anybody's going to even begin to try and dispute that. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have trees in the UK anymore. We're more into telling other countries how they should keep their trees these days. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, it looks it looks fantastic, and obviously they've had turtles there. You know, seemingly. <laughs> what what am I going to say? For they've a had long turtles time. There that's for that's a long all you can really time. say. Yeah, the turtles have been there for a long time, for and they've been studying them fifty years. Yeah, they've been studying them in depth since 1978. So the kind of source of data that some of these papers draw upon is a really, really long-term study of these um, painted turtles. Mm. And so, uh, as we'll see, that allows for some quite cool papers to come out. This area of research was studied by a guy by the name of Patrick Muldawan. Patrick was a master's student at Laurentian University, and I believe he's still now studying in this area for his PhD project, but he switched over to salamanders. But basically, these papers we're discussing today are the result of his master's research. And yeah, he was studying Chrysemis picta, which is a very adorable, beautiful little turtle, which is incredibly widespread all over America and into Canada, like I said. It's actually bonkers how widespread it is, and... It's got four different subspecies, although that's probably quite controversial. And I think there was a fifth, but there's a southern population which has been elevated to full species status. But it's just a cool little turtle, and they're nice to look at. I mean, it looks like your standard swimmy, swimmy turtle. It's got, you know, the sort of... uh, Legs, face. Legs, face, yeah. Yeah, shell. Shell is always key with Chelonians. But it's got, you know, the swimmy type legs, not the tortoise type legs that you see on the land chelonians but it's also very beautiful and that's how it got the name painted turtle uh it's got kind of like black and yellow stripes all down its face and neck and on its arms and then there's loads of red on the plastron um and kind of flashing up the sides and yeah the scientific name is chrysemis picta uh so the generic name has two parts Chris, which is the first bit, which is from the ancient Greek krusos, which is means gold. So presumably, <laughs> I thought you were just going to say the ancient uh, Greek for Chris, <laughs> a traditionally male name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I was googling this to try and find out the etymology, Google was just really insistent that I wanted to search for Christ, and I was like, <laughs> "Give me a break!" <laughs> so yeah, it's actually Chris. And chrysanthemum is the same root. I think that means like golden flower or some something like that. Anyway, hmm. so that's the first part. Chris, which is ancient Greek, chrysos, gold. And then emis, which is the latter half of chrysemis, the generic name, is just... Turtle. Yeah, Latin word for a turtle or freshwater yeah. tortoise. And it's probably the name that the Romans used for European pond turtles, hmm. which is quite cool. And then you've got picta. The specific epithet, which is Latin for coloured, decorated, or even Uh, embroidered in colour. Marvellous. Embroidered in colour. Which is what these tells are. You know, they got the red and the yellow. They're all flashy. 
So, uh, yeah, it's nice yeah. to have a name which, you know, is the, the species is thoroughly deserving of the name and vice versa. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So, yeah, it's being really widespread in the UK. UK? We don't have these here. Um, well, don't we? Nah, I don't think we have... Well, actually, we probably do have a few. I think Because we've got, like, red-eared sliders, don't yeah, we? Yeah, I think that's what we've got more is, is red-eared sliders. Um, mm. But as far as I know, they don't breed because it gets too cold still at the moment. It gets too cold? They're living in Ontario. <clears throat> well... Oh, you mean the sliders? Yeah, the sliders. Yeah. I, I mean, the sliders have to deal with, like, New York temperatures. Yeah, you'd think that they would reproduce, right? But I don't know. Is there, a, is there a canal or something where they're reproducing? I don't know. It's not like I'm an invasive species I... specialist. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? They're yeah, a law unto themselves. in that country. Yeah, yeah. They're a law unto themselves. But yeah, this is probably the best studied turtle in the entire world. Um, because it's from the USA and it's brightly coloured and... Well, mainly because it's from the USA. And as we've said before, when something's in America and it's a reptile... All of those young enthusiasts who do biology degrees want to try and study them. And all their lecturers are buzzing about it because they had the same thing with the same animals when they were younger. So it's like, let's study the painted turtles. And despite yeah. that, there's still mysteries we're finding out about to do with these really, really well-studied species. And we're looking at a couple of papers where exactly that. Well, the first one's not so much the discovery of a mystery, but the second one, second one's more like the discovery of a horrible, grisly cold case. Um Mm. But yeah, they're from the family Emididae, which are the pond turtles. Um, they team up with Trichemis and Pseudemis in that family, the other genera in that family. And they generally live in slow-moving water, eating pretty much anything that's under the water, really. Aquatic vegetation, <laughs> algae, and small water creatures. I'm not going to say they're primarily fish eaters because you'll shoot me down like you did last time we talked about turtles. But these ones, they sometimes what? eat fish. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? I can't remember what species it was, but I was like, oh, it was the um, it was the soft shell turtles. I was like, they're fish specialists. And you were like, nah, man, they, they sometimes eat fish, but they like bugs. I'll never forget now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was only because the paper, like, we literally just read had something about bugs in them. Yeah, I just I just got really hooked up on the fact that they were feeding them fish, and I just assumed that they were fish specialists. But, um, yeah, so these ones, <laughs> unlike soft-shelled turtles, they're not fish specialists. Um, and they love eating like, bugs and, mm-hmm. you know, plants. And soft-shelled turtles aren't fish specialists either. The females are bigger... Okay. Females are bigger than males in painted turtles. The females get up to 10 inches long, males less. Um, yeah, that's really most of what there is to know about them. Okay. So peop- I, I, feel like, I feel like a lot of people know what, what's going on with painted turtles. So we just sort of get into the, the first paper and just sort of fill in the gaps as we go? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First paper. Assessing head morphology dimorphism in the Midland painted turtle using a photographic questionnaire. And who do we have? Mulder 1, Brooks, and Litskus, published 2017 in Chelonian Conservation and Biology. So why do we care about identifying the sex of these turtles? Why? Yeah, why do we care? Why does it matter? Oh. Why does it matter if they're male or female? Well, I suppose, I suppose the most important aspect of that is 
you can't get a good idea of how demographics work, how you know population trends and things like that. Well, I suppose you could, but it would be a lot easier if you understood how the sex ratio and things like that influenced demographics. Because if you had a population where you only had one females and one female and twenty five males, well, growth is going to be pretty substantially limited, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you flip that and you had twenty five females and one male, well, growth or recovery or whatever uh, population trends could be could be completely different. So it is an important aspect, and being able to identify that properly is an important aspect of being able to understand a population, understand potential trends or changes in that population. Yeah, precisely. And so in this study, they were testing to see if people, i.e. human beings, of varying experience were able to tell the difference between male and female turtles based on the characteristics of their heads. So there have been other studies that did this. Well, and and specifically photographs. Yes, that's right. Yeah, They're not seeing some live turtles, they're just seeing pictures of turtles, which, you know, that's important. It is. And so there have been other studies to do this. And human beings are pretty good at working out whether some animals are male or female. So if you show a human being, after a little bit of instruction, a photo of a macaque, which is a horrible type of monkey that will steal your chips, uh, if you show them one of those, it'll be able to tell you, is that male or female, based on the nose, the jaw structure, and sort of like some other cranial features. Male macaques have different faces to female macaques, basically. And human beings are pretty good at recognising those differences. I mean, you say pretty good. I feel like they're a little bit generous with with saying that it was pretty good. Sixty one percent accuracy. <laughs> wow, that is actually better than chance, yeah. but only just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's okay, I guess. You wouldn't want to base a study on those numbers, would you? True. Conversely, though, uh... unless unless you factored in that probability of getting it wrong into whatever model you were doing. Sixty one percent. You'd need a bigger sample to deal with it, but. You, I don't you know, know. I think if you're getting... Su- there's ways of handling for, for you know, uh, in, uh, well, uncertain classification and stuff. Yeah, actually, if you've got 100 monkeys and you're getting 61% of their sexes right, <laughs> that's a lot that's wrong. Right. But it, it depends on your question. Maybe it was useful for what they were doing. Maybe that's fine. Cats, though, we can't tell the difference between at all. Yeah. Cats, well, cat's a cat. I've always said that. Yeah, you had a 50-50 of getting it wrong or right, which is, yeah, yeah. zero improvement, right? Yeah, presumably they're not, yeah. Uh, dolphins are another one that we can tell the difference between. Um, it does help to have some computer software, but male dolphins, when you look at their dorsal fin, the dorsal fin is bigger and it's more likely to have increased amounts of scarring and nicks out of it. And females apparently have more skin lesions than males. So if you... Mm. Yeah, if you have some pictures of dolphin fins, or if you're experienced and you're in the field, you can look at a dolphin's fin and say, yeah, okay, that's a, that's a male. I think uh, when they did that, they actually had like a laser pointer, which showed them on the fin what was 10 centimetres. So I think if you're accustomed to seeing that 10 centimetre. Ah, uh, okay. Sort of. Yeah, so that was all with a little little bit more guidance, I suppose, yeah. than just looking at a picture of a macaque. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... What were the differences between males and females? The males have a different shaped head to the females. They've got kind of a pointier nose. They've also got tomiodonts, which are these little tooth-like cusps in the middle of the upper jaw that kind of look like little fangs. <laughs> I sp- yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. 
they're sort of yeah. I mean, they look really sort of intimidating. Actually, you you don't really expect to see. I mean, obviously, a lot of tortoises have kind of like they're almost like uh, well, they are. They're beaks. They're beaks, uh, and you know, you think if it bit you, it'd probably hurt. But this painted turtle, the males have got this addition of two little horrible pointy tomiodonts, and it looks like they could do you some damage. I mean, you don't mess with a turtle. I mean, that's just that goes without saying. Yeah. Tough and bitey. Yeah. I think that also just adding to that idea of what the male head sort of looks like, to me, to me, it just seems a bit more sort of squared off. Mm. Slightly more bulbous. Yeah, there's, there's, well, maybe the opposite. bulbous in the sense of bigger, but yeah. like more more right angly, more angular. Whereas the female, I yeah. feel like the whole head is a sort of softer, more rounded shape. Yeah, looking at the pictures... Using very general terms and with no technical terms mixed in. Yeah, because bulbous actually just means rounded. But, like, I don't know. Something about his head on the right-hand photo of the male. Maybe it's the back. I don't know. I don't know if I'm necessarily looking at the characters that they were looking at. In the... No, well, that's... that's th- this is this is merely my impression. Yeah. I'd say also the, f- the female turtle is kind of smirking, whereas the male is, like, smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I, I don't I don't think that's a characteristic that people went by though. Well, not one they mentioned, but obviously there's limitations to any study. <laughs> Degree of smirk. <laughs> yeah, but no. So yeah, the idea was there's these different head shapes and pointy nose or non-pointy nose and that kind of stuff. Um, and it is well established that these are a sexually dimorphic species, right? Yeah, in, that's that's something in other ways. important to to point out that there is head dimorphism right in this in specifically this species yeah it's more testing whether people can detect that without having to measure it yeah yeah females are bigger the males have a longer tail um because the male tail is used for channeling sperm and stuff like that so yeah they're, they're known to be sexually dimorphic in numerous ways but yeah they wanted to see whether people could tell the difference and as it turns out People are pretty good at telling the difference between... They didn't know that they were looking for male or female turtles, did they? The study subjects. They just knew they were supposed well, to differentiate between group A and group B. Didn't they? No, they kept it a secret. They just talked about group A and B so that they didn't think they were looking at male or female. Because I, I guess if you know a little bit about animals, and I know a lot of the people they were using for this study were biology undergraduates, although they used like a snowball method. So people were allowed to tell their friends to go and mm. conduct the survey as well. Um but yeah, pretty much most people, I think, if they were kind of presented with a photo of an animal, there's like, I think you've got like certain biases in your mind already, like preconceptions of what male and female animals might look like. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably good that they kept that a mystery. But yeah, most people were pretty huh. damn good at differentiating between group A and B. And yeah, it was like between 79 and 86%. Was it seventy nine percent of male IDs and eighty six percent? Yeah, of well, that's a that's a bit of a funny to me. That's a bit of, of a funny way of summarizing it because that's not actually the true mean, right? Because that's a mean of means. Because it's it's it, it's seventy nine to eighty six when you summarize it by experience level and then give the range of the experience levels. When actually the lowest percentage of success was fifty fifty at twenty five out of fifty one. So the actual the actual range of people's success 
was something like 50-ish to 100%. Yeah, someone got 100%. Yeah, yeah. No wonder they're in the and advanced category. I'm not category. sure if the overall mean is reported. Not that I can see. I think it's all just broken down into these experience levels. Because that's the other aspect. People had to self-report their experience level, right? Mm-hmm. It was self-reported, wasn't it? Into novice, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So they had, they could break down the uh, the results and the sort of success by this self-reported experience. Yeah. And it largely follows what you'd expect. People who identified as novice being not as good as people who identified themselves as having, you know, that advanced level of experience. Yeah. Beginner and intermediate, um, not so much. Basically, the stats showed that there was a, a gradient from novice up to advanced. Yeah. Um, the, the differences weren't particularly big. But there was a decent difference between novice and advance. Yeah. So that I feel maybe due to just just being able to pick out gradient, you know, a gentle gradient's never going to really pull out nicely from from that sort of stats test. But it also might be sort of muddied by the way people classify themselves. Yeah, I think basically what you've got is you've got beginner, so you've got novice, beginner, intermediate, or advanced, and these are people telling the researchers how well they perceive themselves or how experienced they perceive themselves to be with turtles, right? And I kind of feel like novice is going to be people who are generally just like, what? What's a turtle? Um, And then you've got beginner and intermediate. I think you're really just going to differentiate between people's, like, cockiness in there. Like, Yes, but that's that's almost as interesting in some ways. Because I think... Yeah, a lot of people are going to rock up and be like, yeah, I know a bit about turtles. But then other people who actually have quite a good idea about turtles but don't want to be like, I'm not into video. I'll just class myself as a beginner. And that does show in the results. Like, actually, intermediates yeah. had a the worst... There was a worse score in intermediate than there was in beginner, Oh, right? gosh, yeah, sorry. It was worse than... Um... Worse than twenty percent So, actually, 50%. the cocky people... There was an intermediate that did, that did... Yeah, did the worst. So, the cocky people actually did slightly worse than the less cocky beginner people. Only very, very, like, tiny margin, but still, it's kind of funny to see that. That kind of says a lot about sort of, to me at least, it sort of speaks volumes about the way humans just behave more than anything else. Well, and it, it highlights the difficulties of classifying a sort of experience level, because how how would you do it? I mean, you could do it off some sort of categorization, you know, some sort of special piece of paper people had or something along those lines Mm. probably just as inaccurate the self-reporting thing is at least nice in a way because it's this it almost absorbs that perception thing which is sort of interesting in its own right and it does you know the patterns bear out it's not such a big problem that it's hidden uh the sort of expected pattern of novice to advance sort of trend but it has highlighted some interesting like uh variation there hmm yeah, the thing that people found most difficult was when males were recently mature and they hadn't kind of fully developed all their, I guess, their secondary sexual characteristics. Um, but yeah, so it would be a male who was like just narrowly in the margin of being an adult and people were like, hmm, not so sure about that one. But for the most part, mm. I mean, the take home message of this is like people can tell the difference looking at a picture of a painted turtle, whether it's a male or female with pretty damn good accuracy. And if you practice and you're a right. turtle person, you can tell virtually 100% of the time. And 
if you were doing it in context of knowing you were trying to decide between male and female, that might add some advantage to it. Might do. Exactly. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I presume it sort of, sort of would. But then maybe that boosts your sort of false positive confidence. I don't know. I reckon it would be different in the cocky group and the uncocky group. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... I don't know. The only bit of this paper that I was sort of... didn't quite get the reason behind was why why they were done in pairs. So they, they presented these people with 51 slides... Each slide had a had a pair. It had a group A and a group B, so a male and a female. And I'm not sure of why you'd do it paired. Mm. Because if you yeah, if you've got quite let's say you've got an idea of what group A is, you think, alright, group A are the ones with, with round heads. Yeah, it's more like an ability to compare. Right. It's like a right. it's and like a comprehension different test. than if you were in the field and you were given one turtle and you didn't have it to compare anything to could you would you still make the same classification and i just wonder why it was done paired as opposed to cuz i mean in in my head the way i would do it i don't know if this would be feasible or would completely undermine the thing in terms of getting people to sort of get what was going on but you'd just show one turtle at a time and okay classify a or b without any pairing whatsoever and treat the whole thing as a sort of big logistic regression where you're just testing the success rate 0, 1 against the truth of 0 and 1 mm. and see if whether their success predicts the truth. Then you throw in um, individual or experience or individual nested in experience as some sort of random effect that's impacting how yeah. But anyway, that's 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 sort of besides the point. I just wonder whether it would produce the same sort of results. I sort of feel like it would because these are pretty, pretty uh, convincing one way. I think it, it would, would be less. Be... I think it would be less because I mean, even now, I think it would be less. I... But I still think it would show something pretty. St- I would guess it would show something pretty strong. That's what yeah. I would be going in assuming it would. It would replicate. Yeah. But certainly, I like, just don't know how well. If you catch a snake which you've not caught before and you're trying to work out if it's a male or female based on its tail length, it's hard. It's hard because you're just like, if you catch what two, does the other one look like? Yeah. But then when you've right. got another one, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah, of course, that's the male, that's the female. Um, so, yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like you, yeah, any, anything where you're IDing, if you've got a point of reference, it can help. Yeah. Especially if one point of reference you're quite confident in. I think the only thing which would serve to make this make more sense is the fact that when you catch turtles, you catch lots of turtles because they're turtle traps. <laughs> so, yeah. So you you know, there's a higher likelihood than with most other animals that you're going to have an ability to compare. But I agree with Plus, you that it's not necessarily the fairest test because yeah, it's easy to look at two pictures and draw a distinction between them. If you know, than, if 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 you're sort of if you know that one's going to be one and one's going to be the other, exactly. Yeah. They do say in the discussion that things could change if you were given a you know group a group a and group b group b or switch things up like that so yeah that that might change things up i feel maybe the field aspect wasn't really what they were going for because something like this where they've got a very long-term data set they have a huge backlog of turtle photographs i presume and something like this you could compare a lot of them side by side with presumably similar taken photographs over a long period 
and do the assignment of sex sort of post hoc uh, when you don't even have the turtle in the hand anyway. So in that sense, having that comparison makes makes perfect sense because you're going to have a, a wealth of data to be able to compare to. And it's not a field thing. And if you can avoid doing stuff which is like more invasive, like turning the turtle upside down and tugging on its tail, <laughs> then great. Yeah. I, I, that's the other really nice thing about this that I really like is that it does provide pretty damn good evidence that, hey, if you just take some nice photographs of stuff, you can ID sex pretty confidently mm. without the more invasive methods. And if we're talking about having a very big sample size, then if, you know, some are incorrectly ID'd or have to be put in the unknown pile, then hopefully you'll have enough to still do, uh, you know, still investigate what you're trying to investigate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they talk about maybe why there is a difference in the head morphology of male and female turtles. And it's a bit of an unknown at the moment for the most part. So the actual shape, it might be to do with mate recognition or mate choice, you know, some particular mm. element of this morphology might be attractive to mates. Who knows? Uh, getting inside the mind of a turtle would drive you insane in seconds, I think. Um <laughs> Or, or you'd found, find sort of newfound peace. Oh, can you imagine? It's like enlightenment. So simple. Yeah. So simple. The pursuit, Maybe. The pursuit of fish. And other aquatic life. They say that possibly there could be differences in how each sex feeds. So the kind of partitioning uh, like we saw in the classic soft-shell yep. turtles. Although that was mostly females eating bigger things because they are bigger. Uh, however, there is one thing. There's one element of this morphology, the tomiodonts, which we know to have a role. And that leads us into our second paper, which is Moldawan, Brooks and Litzkis, 2020. Demographics of injuries indicate sexual coercion in a population of painted turtles, Chrysemus Pictor, published in the Canadian Journal of Zoology. In 2020. In 2020. Say 2020. I said it again. Let's say it more. 2020. Mm, the future is now. Yes. 2020. So this kind of leads on from another Hawkshaw et al. 29 paper, which identified the fact that males have more protracted and serrated scutes just behind their heads. So if you imagine the turtle, imagine you've got its little head. You keep going back past that weird neck with the strange skin and you reach the shell. And those very first scoots are very, very spiky and they look kind of horrible. They look like they're designed to do some damage. And as it turns out, well, they are. Um, and so the males have them and the females really don't. And the other thing that the males have, which we just talked about, was the tomiodonts. Um, so, yeah. This paper was kind of looking at, again, the really, really long field collection data that they have since 1978. And people have been recording whether or not the turtles had any wounds on them. And they wanted to compare the rates of wounding among different groups of turtles. So males, females, juveniles, to find out whether or not the males might be using these seeming weapons against the females or each other, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Just I I just pulled up that picture of the uh, those scoots. It it, I mean they are fierce looking scoots for yeah. something so for like you know not not a monstrous turtle. I mean you see ones that are like properly armored and stuff, but these are for the proportion of the like 
head and limbs and stuff. They're pretty. They're pretty real. Yeah. Normally you see turtles with spines and stuff, and they just look ornamental. They just kind of like yeah. they just look cool. Like it would just be like a nice ridge or something like that. Whereas with these, they're like genuinely very sharp, and you just think, ah, <laughs> look at it. Yeah, it's gonna suck. And um, yeah, I mean, we might as well get straight into it, right? Because the findings pretty damn damning. Um, damning, but it's pretty damn certain. Um, well, I think before before you do, did you sort of just touched on the sort of um, overriding hypothesis that they were they were looking to sort of test? Well, I suppose not test, but to uh, provide some context, right? Yes. So, on one hand, you've got this... Uh, more more mobile turtles appear to have more courtship-based mating methods, right? They have a really nice term in here called amiocapal foreclaw four display, which I really like. Amiocapal foreclaw display. You know where they wiggle their little feet around? Yeah. Great. Well, that seems to be more associated with mobile turtles, right? And then you get the the big turtles, or tortoises as well, I think. Basically, the less mobile you are, the more likely, or the less likely you are to have these amicable forecourt displays and sort of courtship-based things, and the more likely uh, these turtles are to have coercive mating uh, methods. And that's sort of the context here, because we've got this painted turtle that is like mobile and free swimming, right? With female bias dimorphism, which would also sort of push you to suggest, mm, okay, probably more courtship way. And that's what they're sort of investigating. Wait a second, this, this painted turtle's got characteristics that would suggest it's sort of not doing that. Maybe maybe there's more to it, right? Yeah, I don't think you can describe the behaviour of these male turtles as amicable in any way. No. In fact, it's no. the complete and utter polar opposite. I mean, should we talk about the actual prevalence of wounding in females? So, yeah, they had this 24-year data set and adult females, uh, significantly elevated rates of wounding compared to adult males. So it was 16% of females that were found to have wounds compared to 7.7% of males and only 2.8% of juveniles. So if you're a female turtle... Yeah, was it 2.6 times more females wounded than males right yeah so you've got more than double and that's chance. sort of translating to well more than six times the chance was the way they they were doing so that's proportionate and then of individuals and six times to have that doesn't make any sense what i've written there that makes how how have i i have written that in a very profoundly <laughs> backwards way that on average the proportion of wounded females was 2.6 times greater than the proportion of wounded males that must have been a, a yearly average, I presume. And then overall, on an individual basis, females were up to six times more likely to have wounds than males. But the up to six times also pres- makes me think that that was done on a yearly or seasonal yeah, basis. Yeah, that suggests that like there was one year where there was a lot of batterings going on. Yeah, I have a feeling that's what... That is summarised over is either anyway, years or seasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> way more likely. The, the, the point is way more likely. Yeah. If you're a female turtle, you have got a much higher chance of having some horrible, horrible wounds. Um, <clears throat> and in the paper, in the Hawkshaw et al. 2019 paper, they've actually got photos of 
a female with these wounds. And it's just this horrible, like, there's a slice directly across the back of the neck. And it's like a serious wound for an animal that size. It looks really horrible. And so that is obviously from the serrated scutes behind the male's head. They basically use what they call bludgeoning or shell clattering, where they just walk up to the female and then just like jab into them. They do like a little thrust with their legs and they just stab into the females. Um, and so they do that in combination with using the tomiodonts, those fang-like teeth on the upper surface of the jaw that we mentioned earlier on. So they use the bludgeoning and then they're also sort of nibbling away with these horrible specialized tomiodonts. And uh, yeah, they're doing that as a means of coercing the females into mating. Because mm, it's all it's all playing on this balance that so there's, there's obvious costs to females mating, but the game plan with the coercion is to make the cost of not mating greater than that. That's that's how the selection works. That's yeah. horrible, isn't it? Gosh. It's grim, aye. Nature comes up with some really horrible stuff when it's left to its devices. And from an animal which, from the outset, looks so endearing. Yeah, it's just yeah. pretty gross. But, yeah, what was interesting was that the bigger the female, the bigger their chance of having these wounds, which kind of suggests that either larger females take more coercion because they can kind of withstand the punishment, or lar- right. larger females are deemed to be more attractive mates by males, and so they're more attracted to them and they're more likely to go over and start trying to coerce them. Yeah. There's all this coercion going on with painted turtles, basically. So if you thought that painted turtles were just this cute little comedy character with a nice red shell you're wrong they're actually one of nature's most ghastly creatures yeah i think it i i liked i mean unless you've got anything else to say about the sort of core of the paper no um i really like the way they were ending this sort of they got a nice line whereas importantly our work shows that natural history observations can change our understanding of well-studied systems and invoke novel questions so i'm like yeah yeah I like that. I think, I mean, this is not the first paper that has um, taken a, you know, that was quite a logical hypothesis that was laid out at the beginning. Okay, more mobile, less likely of uh, coercive mating. You know, the females are bigger, stuff like that. So it's, okay, that makes sense. It's quite nicely uh, nicely argued. But then you actually take a look at something that you would think fits perfectly into that hypothesis a highly mobile species that's doing the complete opposite yeah it does it it absolutely does change the way you think about these things and then you start looking back at that hypothesis and you wonder whether how much of it's just sort of detected by chance how how applicable is it to all these different species are these species just weird little uh, exceptions to the rule i mean certainly it's they're suggesting that coercion is a ancestral trait perhaps in turtles um where the displays and uh what's the other word using the sort of courtship based uh methods might be newer and Mm. not the default as such for turtles um yeah I, i i really like testing these long hold well maybe long held i don't know how 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 long held that assumption the hypothesis assumption theory whatever was but it's nice to have them tested in a way that is well at the end of the day very convincing right yeah these wounds aren't coming from nowhere no and, and the morphology you know, of these males is it 
you know, it's perfect. It is smoking gun. Yeah, all signs point to yes, right? You've got the morphology. You've got the fact that they're happening during the late summer breeding season. And yeah, they're concentrated on the head and neck of females, which is, you know, classic archetypal mating-related wounding across pretty much all animals. And uh, did you mention the timing, that these wounds tended to occur more at breeding season too? So it's not just like random chance or competition for for food resources as such. It does seem to be syncing up with a particular behavior at a particular time. And that's, well, convincing. Yeah. To say the least. So yeah, there you go. You thought you liked painted turtles? Now, I mean, they are still amazing and obviously it's a reproductive strategy. But it, yeah, to the human brain, it's just so sort of unsavory, isn't it? It is. But, you know, that's that's animals. You've got to judge them by their standards, not ours. Yeah, man. That's... You know, the, the, the equal thing is not bringing animal behavior into human behavior, so you don't apply human behavior to animals. Very you know, good. They're different things. <clears throat> yeah. You can still empathize with, with things without having to fully take all the behavior one way or another, you know. Yeah, I mean, if turtles behave the same way as us, they'd just be getting in the way all the time because they're so slow. Can you imagine a turtle walking in front of you? God, it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Oh, behind five blanding turtles at the post office, might as well just give up. <laughs> yeah. Just go home. So, yeah, that is some behavior of Chrysemus Picta, the painted turtle. Uh, there's loads to read on this stuff. Patrick Mulderwan. Oh, yeah, we, and we, ju- we just picked a couple that that spanned two aspects, really. There's a lot more depth going on i mean we said how many how many years was it that place is being studied i mean that's a proper long-term data set yeah since 1978 so yeah yeah you do not get that sort of length of data very often especially when it comes to herpetofauna that's like if we started studying some turtles now then you'd have this data set by 2062 yeah that's wild yeah it's impressive keeping something going like that that long. To mm. That's just a probably a logistical nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's just about it for Painted Turtles, isn't it? Should we move on to our species of the bi-week? Yeah, let's do it. Species of the bi-week. He's having a little drink. Okay, so... Oh, oh, you want me to introduce? No, I'll do it. So, saves you butchering it. So, uh, (laughs) another... (laughs) (laughs) So, this is in Amphibian and Reptile Conservation. Another Angolan Namib endemic species. A new Nucras from southwestern Angola. And this is by Branch, Conradi, Vazpinto, and Tolly. So some serious heavy hitters in the world of African herpetology. And yeah, it's a brand new species of Lacerted Lizard. So Lacerted Lizards are kind of like the speedy fast guys of the lizard world. They're skinny boys. It's what you think of when you think of lizard. If you go on holiday... You probably have in in your mind one of these guys. Yeah, if you go on holiday and see a lizard scattering around the walls, some people are fortunate enough to see lizards where they live. We have a few lizards. Mm. We got some lacertids. Um, we have some that live just outside under some leaves. Yes, uh, and this they is... fight each other for the use of the best rock. It appears, <laughs> which is just a breeze block, but they love it. <laughs> oh, oh yes. 
so yeah, this is a brand new species and it's in the genus Nucrus, which prior to this, I think there was 13 species. Basically, what they talk about in the paper a lot is the fact that Angola is more or less the same size as South Africa with a similar variety of habitats, but it has far fewer described species because it hasn't been studied as well. And so this new species probably represents one in a whole string of new species that are yet to be described from the area. Um, Yeah, this is the 14th in the genus Nucra. And what have they called it? They've called it Nucra broadelli. Broadelli? Broadly I. Broadly I. Nucris Broadly I. <clears throat> Why is it yeah. called Broadly I? Oh, you know, people. It's also known as the Angolan Sandveld Lizard, which is a nice name. It's got a really well-defined collar, if you want to tell it apart from its congeners. It's got a nice collar. Um, it doesn't have serrated toes, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's an app. It's a stunning lizard. It is. Regardless of toe serrations or not. Yeah, yeah. It's just phenomenal it is it's very pretty um it's kind of like a well it's got like a creamy base color hasn't it with a white tum tum um nice orange tail and like rich chocolatey stripes starting from just above the eyes and going all the way down the body until they reach the solid orange tail um yeah big eyes round pupils daytime dweller how big is how big is this guy? I, I so the largest specimen examined was yeah seventy four had... plus one hundred forty four millimeters. So seventy four, so seven centimeters with a big long tail, and the tail had been regenerated. Okay. Yeah, so pretty pretty standard lizard size. Yeah, and that's what was that twelve specimens I think they had for this guy. Yep, 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 and they're finding them in Mopan woodlands dry savannas and semi-desert shrublands so if you imagine you know your sort of standard sandy floor dry sparse shrubs nice big trees lizard covered ground yeah yeah dry woodland zone dry woodland zone and it's anticipated that only a few scattered specimens have been found um some of which were lost in a fire which is a bit sad but they're secretive and they're mm. not very conspicuous. So really, it's not they're not sure where the full range of the species is. But if you look at the map from which they've been found, um, I mean, it's it's a pretty wide range covering a significant that, portion of Angola. Yeah, or well, at least a. I'm not sure about significant portion of Angola, but do you not think? Oh, no, no, we'll look yeah, at the little yeah, insect. Yeah, That's a very yeah, yeah, zoomed right. in portion. <laughs> yeah, and what are you looking at? If you were just to eyeball it, you'd say it was maybe 300 kilometers by 400. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. A range of elevations, which is also a good sign. So hopefully they're more widespread. But I mean, the first, you know, this is an important first step, isn't it? Identifying that it is a separate species. And then you can you can start working on working out where it uh, actually actually is. Yeah, yeah. So, very important work. There's a really cool plant in one of the figures. It looks like um, just looks like some <laughs> mad succulent. Have you seen it? Yeah, the one that's like ginger roots coming out of a rock. Yeah, with just like with little protrusions. Tiny trees. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like, like a thousand tiny baobabs. Yeah, it looks like coral. It does. Yeah, coral's not a bad... Yeah. yeah. That's a cool Land plant. Land coral. Hmm. And then they've got a photo of one of the lizards sleeping. 
Yeah. Very <laughs> sleepy lizard. But yeah, so that's a new species. Uh, we know a little bit about the habitat. It seems to be restricted to arid biomes of southwestern Angola. So when I said it was from most of Angola, that was a goddamn lie. Um, <laughs> yeah, low to moderate altitudes. Yeah, and expect more species. There's lots of endemic species. There's some cool geckos, various other interesting lizards. And so, yeah, this is kind of the tip of yeah. the Namib iceberg. Yeah, good stuff. Cool study, bit of molecular stuff, bit of... They did do a bit of morphometrics, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice nice combo study showing a very, very good-looking lizard. Yeah, yeah. So, Nucris broadlii, the Angolan sandveld lizard. Cool. Um, yeah, that that's it then. So, painted turtles and then a nice brand new lizard. Have you got any other business this week? No. Okay. No, I feel like I'm saying that most weeks. Just but that's say. literally because there's very little time to read around and bring up other stuff. So, um, whereas before there was more time. There's not enough time. So, no. yeah, we haven't, well, we just recorded an episode the other day anyway. So the only thing I've got to say oh, no, wait. is I, that... No, I suppose we do have to... You go, go Interrupting on. you, because you asked first. Um, we, uh, we put out a preprint the other day. I suppose that's news. Yeah, that is and news. And related to reptiles and stuff, um, which is looking at how home range estimation methods compare against tracking regimes. So if you're tracking a species more frequently or less frequently, how uh, how that impacts how estimators work, specifically ones that can be worked, you know, uh, reptile tracking data. Um, so we got that out. People seem relatively interested in that which is good hopefully that serves some sort of purpose if you have any interest guides in, people sort of analysis yeah if you've got any interest in tracking animals using radio telemetry you should read that i think it's uh or at least if you if you're wanting to deal with home range stuff um if you're not doing home range well then it's you know who cares yeah but valid. <laughs> yeah but um if, if you're doing tracking stuff and home range stuff and it's vhf it doesn't even have to be reptiles actually it's, you know this would work for any VHF um, scenario the only kicker is the way we simulated the data to test this stuff we simulated reptile data i.e. long stopovers for like shedding or digestion in large snakes stuff like that we have what like three different archetype species so we've got a nice little range there we should cover that paper properly on here we should do we should do an episode with it yeah, I mean, people won't be too bored because it's a pure methods paper and actually uses no real reptile data. It's all simulated. I suppose it's interesting to talk about how we justify the simulations and how movement patterns. I of think people tend will be, be intrigued to hear your perspective on it anyway, because you know it's like it's a methodological scientific paper, but you played a large part in writing it. So it's not often you get to hear that from somebody direct from the horse's mouth. And if you start boring everyone, I'll just tell you to stop. Yeah, no, I'm 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 happy. I'm happy to, um, you know, fold it into a, into another episode of another bit of spatial ecology or something like that, or yeah. um, another simulated paper, or I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, um, no, I'm very very happy to. Yeah, as Ben says, it's up on BioArchive. We'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go check that out. Aye, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. all data, all code, everything available. Yep, I'm excited about it. The only thing that's lacking is a peer review, but that is underway. 
Right on, right on. Well, actually, it's not it's not underway because it got kicked back to us. But, you know, it'll be underway eventually. <laughs> Someone will review it and it'll be a formal thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Cool bioarchive, though. Bioarchive's pretty handy. It's nice, isn't it? It's a good system. Oh, yeah. In terms of stuff that you want to you get out quickly um, and get the sort of wider community's opinion on, really nice. Really, really nice. And it's this whole push towards a slightly more transparent, slightly more more transparent sort of uh, scientific workflow. Mm. Very keen. Yeah. <clears throat> Needs a shake-up in many ways, does scientific publishing. Oh. And another thing I want to shout out to, finally, finally I got a hold of Ross McGibbon's uh, calendar. Oh, yeah. And it's fi- it's here with me in Thailand, finally, after going, you know, pop back to UK, got it, I have it. It's brilliant, love it. Yeah. On the side of the desk. Treated to a view of a beautiful Australian reptile. It's currently a lizard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's banging. Ornate crevice dragon. Lovely. Oh, spicy. So, uh, the only other thing I've got to say is big up to Alex Santiago. Thanks very much for becoming our Patreon. Um, massively mm, appreciate you. that. And yes, we will do an episode for you on exactly what you asked for. But I won't say it here because it can be a surprise for everyone else. Uh, <laughs> if you want to become a Patreon, then you can. You can go to patreon.com slash herphighlights and support our work, which is very gratefully received. Otherwise, you don't have to listen for free. I don't donate to anyone on Patreon. I listen to loads of podcasts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's absolutely... That, the, the point is, the point is, it's people donating if they can. Yeah, and it can be to, $1 a month. To keep it... it open and, and free for everybody yeah anyway right, that's the point we're not we're not putting adverts and things it, yeah. our costs are the hosting issues and stuff but that's yeah yeah and if you want to get in touch with us you can uh, you can email us herphighlights at gmail.com let us know if we've got anything wrong or if we've horribly oh yeah um, horribly misrepresented your master's work <laughs> or mispronounced someone's name. Yeah. Like, that's my biggest fear constantly. I'm rubbish at these names. Or if you know someone's mispronounced the word amicable. <laughs> what did I say? You were amicable. Like, I couldn't even work out what you were saying. It was like, I'm amicable. I was like, what? I had to search <laughs> the paper. I was like, have they coined a new term? <laughs> <laughs> Just, he's, he's gone off the deep end. He's making up It was words. too late for me to correct you. So I thought I'd bring it up later on when it's too late to do anything about it. Um, yeah, fair play, mate. Fair play. Yeah. Or you can go to <laughs> facebook.com slash herphighlights, I think it is, or we're on Twitter. Um, yeah. If you want to leave us a review, that'd be really kind too. If you have a podcasting app, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah, share it around. You yeah. know, tell a friend. Uh, so, yeah, I think all that remains to be said is uh, thanks for listening. And, yeah. Catch, Thank you for listening. See you next time. Yeah. Catch you in two weeks' time. Blanding's turtles, if you put a rock that's turtle-shaped in a tank with a male Blanding's turtle in the breeding season, there's a reasonable chance it will go over to it and try and mount it. I don't know where I'm going with this, actually. <laughs> <laughs>